Hey there, and welcome back to the Faith Driven Investor Podcast. Today, we're hearing from Mark Stolson. Mark is the CEO and partner of Legatum, a global firm that wants to improve people's lives by increasing prosperity across the world. He joins us to talk about their approach, the power of building frameworks, and what it's like to think globally about faith-driven investing. Let's listen in. Can we totally dethrone its power from our lives so that all of our work is devoted to God and God's ways? As Christians, I don't think you can blame it on some evil Hollywood agenda. I think we've abandoned the playing field. The spirit of David and the cracks of the walls and the schemes that we are all running. Is you've got to make sure that your identity is solidly rooted in who you are in Christ and not in having money. If we were to have a business, what would we do with the money? You can only sleep in one bed. Woke up terrified in the middle of the night. It was so my whole house was shaken. We have been put here on earth to create, not to mimic what might have happened historically. For me, as I pitch, I'm not looking just for the yes, I'm looking for my partners. But I tried Where my heart is most encouraged as a pastor is when I see generosity as the overflow of someone's intimacy with Jesus. And there's a lot of people who want to use their influence to change the world. So how do you actually do it? Investing can be complicated, but it doesn't need to be a burden. Stewardship of the resources that God has entrusted us with is full of responsibility, analysis, and yet it is also a unique opportunity for us all to come to know God's love for us more and His purposes in the world as we seek His wisdom. Here is a place to find other investors who seek the same answers you do and share their stories of seeking to know the best investor and giver of all time. Come for the podcast, stay for the community. Welcome to Faith Driven Investing. Hey everyone, all opinions expressed on this podcast, including the team and guests, are solely their opinions. Host and guest may maintain positions in the companies and securities discussed, and this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as specific investment advice for any individual or organization. Thanks for listening. So uh, good morning. My name is Luke Roush, and welcome to the Faith Driven Investor Podcast. I'm joined here by my uh, co-host, John Coleman. John, good morning. Luke, good morning. We're recording this at 6 a.m. Nashville time, I know, so it is an early morning, but you seem delightfully energized this morning despite that. <laughs> I am. I am. And we have a wonderful uh, guest this morning. Our guest is uh, Mr. Mark Stolison, who is the uh, chief executive officer and a partner at Legatum. We're going to hear more about the firm this morning, but he's been with the firm since 2006, served in a variety of capacities, including head of group investments. Uh, he's worked with his partners there to incubate a number of the firm's key philanthropic endeavors, including the End Fund, the Freedom Fund, the Luminos Fund, the Legatum Center for Development and Entrepreneurship at MIT, as well as the Legatum Institute Foundation in London. So prior to Legatum, Mark was an attorney, so he's reformed out of that practice, which is wonderful. And he also hails uh, a law degree from my alma mater, Duke University, which we have not connected on previously. So that's really fun. Mark, welcome to the show. Luke, thanks so much, Sean. Great to be with you both. Yeah, it's really, really good to have you on. I'm a longtime admirer of Legatum, Mark, as I shared in our lead up to this. But I want our listeners to be able to benefit from some of the things that I really admired as we uh, talk through your background. But 
just get us oriented in terms of where you all are at Legatum. And so your website has this wonderful tagline of uh, having the ambition to improve people's lives by increasing prosperity across the world. Uh, what does that look like for you guys? And maybe just take us down the walk uh, and journey you all have been on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, maybe we could just start at the very beginning. So Legatum actually evolved out of another investment firm, and it was a family run sort of a family office investment firm that was 20 years old. And I worked there as a young professional. As you said, I'm a, I'm a recovering lawyer. But a lot of those skills actually were really useful. So one of my jobs was working within our public equities portfolio, working on corporate governance issues, just trying to improve the governance and sort of what we would call ethical business leadership across our portfolio. So that was my start. What I found, and this is a really key part of the story, is that one of the principals in that firm and two of my colleagues all had a faith. And we discovered that early and it oriented our friendships and the vocabulary that we used and our outlook on things. And we wound up working very, very closely, very intensively for a couple of years. And then a shocking thing happened that we had the opportunity to spin out and create our own firm. And the genesis of the Gotham happened around a table with all four of us basically saying, what do we want to do, not just with our business, but with our lives? How can we use this business and this organization as a vehicle for purpose and for meaning and to kind of focus on what David Brooks would call the eulogy virtues rather than the resume virtues in life? You know, when you cross over, you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. What does that look like for your life? And that was an active part of the conversation. So we thought, well, number one, we want to keep doing what we're doing. We want to build and run a world-class investment organization. We want to multiply our capital, not necessarily play it safe and conserve capital, but multiply capital. We believe God is a God of multiplication and everything is possible. So with that kind of piece in place and as part of our aspiration, then it was, okay, now if we multiply our capital, how are we going to use those resources in a way that we think are meaningful and positive and helpful? And that's where Legatum's mission statement was born. A lot of companies have mission statements. We kind of feel like we carved ours out of stone right at the outset, and it has never changed. So we're 20 years into this, and Legatum's mission has remained the same, and that is to generate and allocate the capital and ideas that can help others prosper. And that word prosper and prosperity for us, just given our beliefs, has a holistic nature to it. Prosperity is like the biblical principle of shalom. Prosper as your soul prospers. Prosper in all the ways that are meaningful in a, in a life well lived, in your relationships, in the opportunities pursued, in the responsibilities that you have uh, within your family, within your community, within your nation. So that was it. And, you know, that was the beginning of the story, but everything that happened afterwards was an expression of that authentic mission statement. So I could go through and tell you, and I'm sure during the podcast, we'll kind of unpack what we have done, but yeah. everything that follows, now you know the why, you know, kind of what we set out to do, and everything that follows has been a journey of just trying things, failing, adapting, <laughs> learning, trying to do better. A lot of things haven't worked, uh, but a few have and have really scaled the things that have really come to exemplify that original mission. 
Well, one of the things that I've really admired is that you all were contrarian before it was popular to be contrarian. And there are some bets and some investments that you guys have made in specific areas of the world. I mean, you're a global firm. Uh, you sit, I think, in Dubai, split time between there and London, but you're active globally. Maybe just take our listeners down a bit of the walk that you all have been on. I think it's appropriate to start with the why, then maybe kind of translate into the what you all have been working on over the last 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. So because we started and are investors, we can't help it. We've got an investor's lens that we use for everything that we do. So we think about capital allocation. We think about return on investment. And so within our investment business, you know, it's proprietary capital that makes us a little bit unique. Obviously, our mission and our relationships, this partnership with four individuals has lasted for two decades. That's unique. The mission is unique. The fact that we have proprietary capital is unique. It's a huge blessing. What it enables us to do is invest with a long-term perspective and actually follow that through. And so a lot of people talk about that. We know that, you know, just the power of compounding over time, being patient in investments is really valuable, but not everyone can do that. So if you've got a fund life and you have to return capital to investors or if you have redemptions, you know, you face forced selling and at just the most inopportune times. We're super blessed and fortunate that we don't have to do that. And so throughout not just Legatum's history, but our prior firm, we would find that we could make some of our best investment decisions when everyone else is panicking, you know, when everyone else is fearful, when markets are roiling and you see this major disconnect between the actual value and the price of something. And it requires a lot of discipline. Even when you have proprietary capital, it requires discipline and sort of intestinal fortitude to deploy capital when markets are really shaking. But we've been able to do that well. So one example, just one small example, was in COVID, where you know we watched this situation unfolding. We watched not just markets, but nations just panicking. We did our research. I mean, we do what investors do. We started to read. We started to research. We started to think. And our contention was, I mean, we're not scientists, we're not PhDs, but just using common sense, using our own experience, using our faith, we looked at it and thought, this could be bad, but it's probably not going to be as bad as, as sort of current market prices are reflecting. And so, you know, we always carry some dry powder and some cash. And we were down, I mean, our fund must have been down 25%, you know, in March, maybe February, March, April-ish. And we had one position that was down over 50%. So we were definitely, you know, seeing the mark-to-market repercussions of all of this emotion and sentiment. But we did it in something that when Legatum does well, this is how we do it, we went 100% invested. And for one of, I think, twice in the last 20 years, we borrowed money to invest, but we took, took a little bit of margin and just plowed it all in our existing portfolio. So we know those businesses very well. I know everything about them. We know where the value lies. We've got high conviction in their ability to create value in the long term. And we just went all in. And that was one of our best performing years in the last 15 years. Uh, it was 2020. And so that's zigging when everyone else is zagging. But that's a great example of us doing what we're configured to do. We've made the opposite mistake. and lost patience. And we've lost patience when things go down too much too fast. And we've lost patience when they go up too fast. 
you know, all of our models get stretched, you know, our, in banks, which we, we like financial services, if the price to book ratio goes like eight in a country like India, even if the bank is growing at 100% per year, we just, you know, we get rattled by that and sell out too early. And so we've made those mistakes over time. But one thing that really has taken root within the firm is the virtue of patience. And patience is a choice and patience is a discipline. But when you actually use it in investment, it's like a superpower. And so when we're doing well, we have high conviction, we have a highly concentrated portfolio. So you've got a multi-billion dollar portfolio that's usually invested across less than 10 names. We go narrow and deep, high conviction, and intend always to hold for the long term. So it's a bit like a private equity portfolio, but 50% of it is in the public markets. Yeah, Mark, I love that example, uh, especially during COVID when you guys zagged uh, as everyone else was zigging, I guess, or zigged when people zagged. What are the examples of that right now in your mind? Either countries where you feel like investors have panicked or have exited, sectors, you know, it's still a pretty choppy economy right now, I think, globally with inflation, with rising interest rates, with softness in real estate markets, et cetera. And so we're seeing a lot of places that investors are shying away from. Are there any high conviction spaces where you think people have overreacted now that you're focused on? That's a great question. I mean, just for a second, dialing back the talk a little bit, the whole heritage of this firm is in going places that other people don't want to go. So, you know, in going places that would be fashionable tomorrow, but that are out of fashion today, whether that's a company or a country. And so, you know, a lot of the history is investing in Brazil in the 1990s. No one wanted to go there. Investing in the former Soviet Union. So from the Czech Republic through to Russia during those years. Over throughout our history, we've invested in most countries. So we've invested in China and in India and in Europe and in North America, South America. So I think if you look around the world today and ask where is the most out of favor country for investors, you know, at least somewhere near the top of the list right at this moment would probably be China. And so you have to look at it, study it, think really hard. You're looking at a situation that is driven by politics and geopolitics in addition to just economic fundamentals. That would be the type of place that Legatum would be monitoring, I would say, and looking for opportunities. China is a huge country, huge population. You know, it's still growing and has, you know, hopefully its best years in front of it. And it creates some amazing companies. So it's a place that we would probably look. But right now, when you start to see fear begin to reach sort of a peak stage, you can take your pick. You can find amazing companies in America that are out of favor in certain sectors, <laughs> whether that's within the energy sector and, and other places. So yeah, basically anywhere that's out of favor is a place that we would be keeping a close eye on. Well, one of the things I love about y'all is the global footprint of the firm. In fact, you're in Dubai, I think, is your primary home office, I guess, Mark. I had the privilege of living and working in Saudi Arabia uh, for a little while in Afghanistan, spent a lot of time in Dubai, obviously such a fascinating region. At the micro level, how did you decide upon Dubai and what does working as a faith-driven investor look like in Dubai? And as you zoom out, how does that influence and shape you as a firm, uh, that global footprint? Yeah, great question. So the choice of Dubai for Legatum, it was just really pragmatic. 
frankly. Uh, we don't have any investments there. We own our own building, so we rent it out. We have tenants, McKinsey and UBS and whatnot, but that is really our only investment in the entire region. So Dubai is a bit of a bedroom community for Legata, but it served us very, very well over time. And what we were looking for, and we ask ourselves the question every five years or so, like, should we still be in Dubai? Because we could be anywhere. But the key drivers of that decision were, you know, number one, we wanted a place where we could recruit and retain world-class talent. So where can you find good schools, a good standard of living? It's a safe place to raise a family. Then we wanted a place that logistically would serve our global footprint. So from Dubai, Dubai now has the world's busiest airport. You can fly to Hong Kong in seven hours, London in seven hours, Cape Town in 10 hours. The U.S. is a little bit further, but you can kind of get a lot of places that we want to be. And we love to be boots on the ground, go visit countries, visit companies, and really get a, a close perspective on our portfolio and on opportunities. So that's a key part of our strategy. So logistically, Dubai is fantastic. And then third, it's just a really business-friendly place. It's easy to set up a business. It's easy to run a business. Just the legal framework, the infrastructure is fantastic. So, you know, we've looked around for other places to be and some have one or two of those attributes, but very few have three. And so we've stayed in Dubai. What is it like to be a faith-driven investor in Dubai? It's awesome. Uh, Dubai itself is part of a republic. It's part of a group of smaller sort of emirates or little countries within a country, the UAE, the United Arab Emirates. Dubai only has probably 2 million people in it, but it has 200 nationalities that live within Dubai. So Dubai is just a very tolerant, very open, very cosmopolitan place. I belong to an amazing church in Dubai, and we've found that that type of openness and tolerance has made it you know, easier and made it possible for us to retain and recruit amazing professionals as well. well one of the things that I think also has just attracted so many people to Legatum over the years and has really built, you know, your brand in a way that I think also reflects the faith of the founders is this idea of prosperity and what that looks like in and through your firm and the investments that you make and then how you select investments. So you talk a little bit on your website around the prosperity model and your prosperity ladder framework. Love to have you just unpack that model, the framework. I think most firms don't have a theory of change, how their work translates to change that we want to see in the world. But maybe could you take a couple of minutes and just unpack that for us, Mark? Sure, absolutely. So if Legato's mission is to help promote prosperity, is to help people prosper, again, as investors, we want to do our homework and study like, well, what? how do you make that happen? What are the component parts of prosperity? And we didn't know. Literally, when we started, we pulled out, I had a, a yellow legal pad, and we were sitting in a room, and we're like, I don't even know what prosperity means. It sounds like money. But what does it mean? So we, I went to the Webster's Dictionary and, and looked it up. And it turned out that prosperity is really multifaceted. It's got a lot of things going on. And we realized it's probably we're going to need some help. So we visited some professors at Oxford University here in the UK. So I'm talking to you from London today. And we got seven professors together who all had like an angle on what's prosperity. And we asked them to deconstruct prosperity into its component parts and tell us how do you do it? What's it made of? And it's made of the things we've already talked about. But of course, it takes wealth, but also what we call well-being. 
which is all this stuff that makes life worthwhile. It's the quality of your relationships. It's the amount of opportunity. Hope, you know, how do you measure hope and how does that get factored into it? Safety, security, health, all of these things. And after we had these genius professors kind of deconstructed for us, we thought, okay, well, let's put it all back together and do an assessment. Like, how prosperous is the UK? How prosperous is the US? And once we started to pull on that thread, we thought, wow, you could actually compare countries against each other. And gosh, if you could do that, that sort of feels like an index. You could have a league table or an index of prosperity and prosperous countries. And so our Legatum Prosperity Index was born in 2007. And it, looking back on that document today, which Legatum Partners co-wrote together, it looks really amateurish, really, you know, very basic. And over time, we hired an amazing group of folks to do things called like regression analyses and a whole bunch of other super high-tech stuff. To, and I think they've got 88 different components to our prosperity index. And it's a very sophisticated look at what drives prosperity on a national level and what restrains prosperity on a national level. And the idea was, if we can create that kind of framework for national leaders and decision makers, that's a public service. If you're a national leader who wants to see your country prosper, this can give you a good idea as to how to think about that and maybe where to allocate your time and allocate your resources. So that's the prosperity index. The prosperity ladder, one of my partners, Alan McCormick, literally just wrote it on a napkin one day because he realized everything we do in the way that we think is about capital allocation. And we understand how to allocate capital into public equity markets. But then there's sort of private equity, and then there's venture capital, and then there's sort of angel. We're all familiar with those sort of different strategies of capital allocation. But we realize we're doing a ton of work just in philanthropic efforts, in charitable work. And that has all of the same attributes of capital allocation. You want to do your assessment. You want to allocate capital wisely. You want to look for a return on investment. You need to monitor that. What does an exit even look like in philanthropy? And so we wound up just creating that prosperity ladder that we've gotten some amazing feedback from it because it really does just sort of provide this taxonomy of capital flows and capital allocation in these different, to meet different needs, basically. One of the things I love about what y'all do is the diversity of investment strategies you're involved in. And as you mentioned, that even extends into philanthropy. Luke went through some of those at the beginning of the call, just in the different focuses that y'all have as Legatum. Could you unpack that a little bit and tell us what are those different strategies and why have y'all chosen to get into each of those in a way that influences prosperity as you just described? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe I'll talk just for two seconds on the financial investment business. So the way that it's configured today, it looks a lot like Warren Buffett. It's got a little bit over 50% of the public equity markets. And that's on an unlevered basis. We don't borrow any money. We're not shorting anything. It's long only, highly concentrated portfolio. And then we probably have about 40% in private equity. And private equity is probably a better fit for Legatum because we don't feel like we're traders or even investors. We want to be business builders, business owners. And that's our mindset in investment. And then probably about 10, 15% of the portfolio is in venture capital. But venture capital is not our wheelhouse. We wouldn't be good as a venture capital firm. 
but we do strategically want to be exposed to certain geographies or certain sectors and need a way to do that. And so we have about seven different venture capital fund partners that we've allocated capital to because they're just way better at it, but we want the exposure. So one of the ways that Legatum thinks about investment is what we call SBIs, simple big ideas. So if you think you know India is growing at seven or eight percent and it's got a population of over a billion people, there's an SBI, which is the rise of the Indian consumer. How, how do we express that simple big idea? And then we'll express it through kind of the sectors that we like, that we understand, consumer discretionary, tech, maybe financial services and banking. So that's kind of how we think about our, our core financial investment business. But we don't think a whole lot differently about philanthropy. We want to look for value. We want to look for an outsized return on investment. And to do that, we kind of got to go looking in the same types of places, places that are overlooked. So let me give you an example. Luke mentioned the END Fund. The END Fund stands for Ending Neglected Diseases. And what the END Fund is all about is deworming people. So that story started with one of my business partners reading the Financial Times. He discovered that 1.5 billion people around on planet Earth have one or more forms of worms, intestinal worms. They can kill you, they can make you blind, they can make you lame, they can keep kids out of school, keep people away from work. So it has a major harmful effect on the health of a community, family, nation. You will only find these diseases in the poorest countries on the planet. So you won't find them in America, you won't find them in the UK, Japan. Why? Because, I mean, all of these diseases are global diseases. The worms are everywhere. It's because in America, we deworm people with a pill and we deworm animals as well. And there are a lot of countries that just don't have access to those pharmaceuticals. So as we did our research, we discovered that pharmaceutical companies will actually, to a large extent, give you the medicine for free. The patents have run out. They don't make any money out of it. They'll give it to you if you have a credible plan for kind of supply chain management and distribution. Legatum chose two countries, Burundi and Rwanda, and said something that's never really been done before is what's called a mass drug administration program on a nationwide level. And we thought if working closely with the ministries of health, those two countries, we just wanted to figure out if you could do a national process over seven to 10 years, so a long-term time horizon, to control and then eliminate these diseases. And what we found was the results were just off the charts, exceeded all expectations. We found that in some pockets of those countries, you'd have like 70 or 80% of a local population infected with these diseases. And with you know two treatments a year, you could get the disease prevalence down into the single digits, even down to zero in some places. So incredible results. Having proven the model, having de-risked it, which is just, again, that investor's lens, we thought, well, we don't have the capital to roll this out to the whole planet, so we're going to need to collaborate. And the end fund was born out of that spirit. We took the Legatum name off of it. It wasn't the Legatum deworming initiative anymore. It became the end fund. And we invited other donors and investors to join us. And today, the End Fund is the world's largest privately funded deworming campaign. It did over 200 million treatments last year alone. So it's just a, it's operates in over 30 countries. And to me, the kind of the punchline of that story is somebody has to have the risk capital. 
Somebody has to go out there and risk failing and prove the model. And once you've done that, the other part of the story is taking your name off the door in some ways, opening it up to everyone else and making it something that people can collaborate on and feel a sense of ownership on. So Mark, that's a remarkable story. I mean, 200 million treatments in the last year alone, just unbelievable. There's aspects, you know, when I hear you talk, and we had a chance to talk a little bit before this as well, when I hear you talk, I mean, we're talking with you on the Faith Driven Investor podcast, but there's also a Faith Driven Entrepreneur podcast, and there are elements of you and your partners and how you think about translating simple big ideas, SBIs, into reality that really is akin to what we see in you know venture capital founders. Maybe speak a little bit about just the transformational potential with entrepreneurship and how you and your partners are wading into that idea. Yeah, different parts of the world on both a for-profit and maybe, you know, concessionary capital perspective. I mean, I think we, as investors, we just instinctively love entrepreneurs, love the creators and the risk takers. Um, But as we studied prosperity, it didn't take long to realize there is no prosperity in a nation without entrepreneurs. (laughs) These are the people that create the opportunities. They create the jobs. They are the engine that drives the ecosystem of finance and that really they are major servants for a national economy and prosperity. So, but for us, entrepreneurship is even more. And the reason why we set up this Legatum Center at MIT and the way that that works is we realize there are brilliant young folks from really, you know, disadvantaged backgrounds or, you know, countries that are very poor, just kids that could get into MIT but can't afford it, and that have a bent or a a calling to entrepreneurship. And we thought, gosh, if we can kind of come alongside them and just with a little bit of funding, give them access to that level of education and that level of network, and if they go back to their home country, they'll start a business, they'll run a huge business. They may wind up running the whole country. And if during their time at MIT as a Legatum Fellow, if we can also give them a vision for the power and the virtue of entrepreneurship, so that if they wind up in a position of of political power and authority, maybe they can play a part in sort of removing obstacles in sort of paving the way so that more entrepreneurs will serve that society and drive more prosperity for everyone. That was the thesis behind setting that up. And the reason for that is when we look at entrepreneurs, we feel like, and again, you know, entrepreneurs are people and people are, are flawed, but big picture to us, entrepreneurship represents a basket of values, right? I mean, these are people who want to be creative and people who will put themselves out there and fail and then adapt and try again. So you've got like perseverance, you've got patience, you've got audacity and boldness. There's so many character attributes that are so good about entrepreneurs that you just want to see, you know, spread out. You want to see sort of uh, leavening a whole society, a culture of a society. So, I don't know, we love entrepreneurs because they do great stuff and create opportunities and jobs. But we love the idea of entrepreneurship, too, because of what it represents in terms of values. Um, going back to the global nature of your firm, Mark, and the way that you work with such a variety of people. I mean, you even just described it in things uh, like the end project that you're working on, where you're working across countries. 
Uh, this is the Faith Driven Investor podcast from a Christian perspective, but we've also highlighted Jewish investors here. We've got a Muslim investor coming up. You're working alongside people of all belief systems in the work that you do. Uh, any advice for folks on just navigating that as a person of Christian faith, uh, working well with those who are sincerely motivated by other value systems or in a diverse environment where those value systems are represented? Yeah, absolutely. So Legatum has sort of three basic core principles that everyone signs up to and it animates everything that we do. And the first one is excellence and elegance. And the second one is culture of honor. And the third one is flawless compliance. So because we operate in lots of different countries and lots of different cultures and in lots of different sectors as well, whether you're deworming kids in Africa or you're deploying capital in the Japanese banks, you know, for us, flawless compliance means you stay well within the safe zone of the right side of the line at all times, no exceptions. And we've got a team that's, like you said, in London and in Dubai and also, you know, in the U.S. and other places. So that's really important. But the key, the twin kind of heartbeats of Legatum are really excellence and elegance and a culture of honor. And with excellence and elegance, it's not just being, you know, masters of our craft, like really always looking to improve, always looking to do better in terms of how we invest and just how we conduct ourselves. The elegance part is we want it to be beautiful. <laughs> we want the relationships to be beautiful. We want our work product to be beautiful. Now we want the Legatum brand and what it represents to be not just excellent, but also beautiful. And the culture of honor is probably the most important part of what makes Legatum, I think, really special and what makes it so effective in different cultures and with different faith traditions. Because we don't feel like it's our role to tell anyone how to think or what to do. We come to serve, like in the posture of a servant, of wanting to come alongside people and help and contribute and honor other people. And that starts, I mean, it starts at home. For us, that means that starts within the Legatum team, within the Legatum family. And so something that we pay a lot of attention to is how are we treating each other? How do we make decisions? And culture always comes from the top. And Within Legatum, the top is the partnership. It's these four individuals. And we take a very intentional and disciplined approach to maintaining right relationships with each other. A couple of principles that have really stood the test of time for us. One is what we call the power of agreement. And what that means to us is that we want to move in unity at all times, and especially with anything material for the firm. It doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything. But if we wind up in a situation or a decision that we're discussing that we need to take and we're not in agreement, we make the highest priority to be in unity, regardless of whatever we decide. And the second is what we call keeping short accounts. And so when you walk a journey with anyone, whether it's in a marriage or a business relationship for two decades, you're going to have good days and bad days. You're going to misunderstand each other. You're going to offend each other. It's human experience. But the one thing we can do is keep short accounts and to raise issues quickly, not let things fester, not let any sort of bitterness take root, forgive each other and move on and just be very, very intentional about that. So when you see those principles really something that we make a big priority within the partnership, you can see it fed through the entire organization and the culture of honor that we strive to live by. I think those are great tips, Mark, and great stories of how 
you and your partners over 20 plus years have been able to stay together, stay unified, you know, engage in the merits when hard decisions need to be made, but to ultimately come out and to move in unity. I like that a lot. One of the things that we like to do uh, at the end of each podcast is uh, just take time to hear what the Lord is saying to you in and through scripture and how that maybe impacts your work and leadership of Legatum. So maybe just take a few minutes and share what the Lord is teaching you right now in this season. Well, I mean, two things that come to mind that are really sort of top of mind right now, and I'm sort of pondering why the Lord is raising these things now. But one is, you know, in Isaiah, when it talks about this prophesying the coming of the Christ, it's prophesying the coming of Jesus. And it says the government will be on his shoulders. And it talks about these attributes. And one of them is that he's the Prince of Peace. And we normally hear those words around Christmas time. But for whatever reason, I feel like God has really put that on my heart recently. And I think what he's saying, and I'm still really sort of noodling on this, is something about the importance of just good governance, good governance, good government, good leadership. And whether that's in your family or whether that's in your organization, whether that's in a nation, there's this connection between good government, Christ-like government, and peace. Like if you're not seeing peace, there's probably a link (laughs) to the quality of the government. And that's really struck me because as a leader and as a leader of leaders within our organization, leaders have different personalities. And some people are more find confrontation easier, calling people out, calling people higher. Other people really are just more uh, wired for harmony and they don't want to confront things. And something that I'm working on with some of our young leaders is just the necessity as a leader to bring peace. But sometimes you have to bring peace by raising the tough issues, by calling things out, by holding people accountable, by making it clear what you will tolerate and what you will not tolerate as a leader. And that's hard. That can be awkward. That can be uncomfortable. That can make you unpopular. That can make you lonely. (laughs) And yet it's totally fundamental and necessary as a leader. So this link between good government, like Christ-like government, I just, for some reason, I was really struck by that. The government's on his shoulders. And, you know, there will come a time when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When that happens, we will experience what that level of peace looks like because we'll be living under his government alone. And it's awesome. But I feel like it's part of our role, not just as believers, as Christians, but as leaders to do our part to try to bring heaven to earth, to try to bring some of that within the authority that we have been entrusted with. So that's one. And if we've got time, I'll give you the second one. The second one, it does go to the power of unity again. And, you know, I've been really reflecting just on when Jesus talks about how his disciples will be known, it's that you will be known not by what you achieve, but you will be known by your love for one another. Yeah, that's how people are going to know that they're Christians. That's how the people are going to see a reflection of Christ. That's how the people are going to encounter the divine is through our love for one another. And so even within the Legatum context, even though Legatum is not a, an evangelical Christian organization, we have people of all faiths and no faith that work within Legatum and are very successful within Legatum. But that's the perfume that I want to see coming out of Legatum, is a love for each other and a love for humanity and a love for our neighbor 
And that through that, I feel confident that God will make himself known, that his presence will be revealed if we love one another. But as a corollary to that, I just have noticed over two decades of doing this with my partners that when we are in unity, I feel like something spiritually powerful is unlocked. And we can see it in fruit and in the oil of God's favor in the activities. It's almost like you get the relationships and it's almost like, it's not always the case, but it feels like good things happen. And when you're in disunity and disharmony, it feels like it just, at least for us, it feels like it has a a restricting effect or almost, you know, feels like it kind of cauterizes God's favor. And so it's something that's just hugely important to get over yourself, make things right, and run, don't walk back to a place of unity. Mark, that's an encouraging word. We're really encouraged by the work that you're doing at Legatum and around the world. Uh, I'm really hoping to get to visit sometime on a trip to Dubai. Luke, it seems like we're probably overdue for a trip out there, but just really thankful that you would come on today and share your insights and the insights of your firm with the Faith Driven Investor podcast and with the audience that we're reaching. So thank you so much for being here today and for the work that you're doing. John, Luke, guys, thank you not just for this time, but thank you for what you're doing with the Faith Driven investor, faith-driven entrepreneur, the whole movement that you guys are stewarding. It's super important. I hope this is useful for someone out there as they hear it. And you're both more than welcome in Dubai. We look forward to your visit. We are grateful for the opportunity to serve this community and see listeners come in from more than 100 countries. Faith-driven investing can be a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. The best way to stay connected is to join a group study with other investors looking to get the same answers to questions you have and find great community as they do so. There's no cost, no catch. In person or online, you can meet an hour a week with other peers from your backyard or the other side of the world. You can also stay connected by signing up for our monthly newsletter at faithdriveninvesting.org. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of many of our friends. Executive producer Justin Foreman, intro mixed and arranged by Summer Dregs, audio and editing by Richard Barley. Our theme song is Sweet Ever After by Ellie Holcomb.